Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and any book with even a hint of time travel. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any good fantasy novel with a strong female character. All right, here we are for book, what is it, 37? 37. Uh, Before we get into our book from the list for this week, what else have you been reading lately? I have been reading, well, I just finished, Hood by Stephen Lawhead. Um, It is obviously what it sounds like. It's a Robin Hood retelling. Um, I didn't like it, Oh, for some reason, I was going to guess Riding Hood, right? (laughs) Riding Hood retelling. Oh, no, Little Red Riding Hood. No, it's Robin Hood. Um, It's a series. You're going to be so proud of me. Look, ready? I'm not going to finish it. Yes. Good job. So it's one of Chelsea's 2019 book resolutions to to one, do not finish books uh-huh. that she doesn't like in the middle and also to give up on series that are bad. Yeah. And this one was an audio book and I liked the narrator. So I finished the book itself, but I'm not going to read. Yeah. Cause it's going to be rule now. Every week I'm going to ask Chelsea when she, if she's in the middle of a book is, are you going to finish it? So she has some accountability. So <laughs> I did finish this book. I'm not going to finish the series. It was just really, it was a really dry retelling and not much happened because it was amping up to be a series, but it was also just like, it was very, I just wasn't, it was like Robin Hood was historically retold, which I thought would be cool. I wasn't um, my jam though. Not, I mean, I love fairy tale retellings, but they can be real, they could be big misses also. Some yeah. Of them. I read a Peter Pan one once that was a series that I didn't read the rest of because it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I love fairy tale retellings too. So I was a little disappointed, but it's okay. Yeah. I think my all time favorite fairy tale retelling is uh, Heartless by. Mar- Marissa Meyer or Melissa Meyer. Marissa Meyer, yeah. Yeah, that's like a uh, Alice in Wonderland. Because she wrote Queen the Hearts. Cinder. The yeah, Cinder which I didn't. Johnny. I read Cinder and I didn't like it and I didn't read the other ones, but I read the Heartless book first. It's just a standalone and it's so good. <laughs> See, I. I didn't love Heartless as much, but I liked the Cinder series. Not Cinder, mm. I like the other ones. There's also a trilogy that's like um, uh, like Queen of Hearts retelling yeah, um, uh, by Colleen Oakes, I think. And the, I read the first two, but I, the third one, like the library doesn't have it. So I've never been able to finish the series. Huh. Yeah, I um, have many a retelling on my... <laughs> yeah, I also read a really good Wizard of Oz one once. That was also the same thing. The last book is missing from the library, so I have of never course. finished it. So what are you currently reading? I'm currently reading um, The Tea Girl on on Hummingbird Lane by Lisa C., who is an author that I, like, religiously read everything she puts out. So I think this book came out um, beginning of 2018. Mm-hmm. And she wrote Snowflower and the Secret Fan, which have you read that? I have. So good, which I love. And I've, I've read every book she's written since then, and I've liked all of them except for one. I didn't like Peony and Love. I haven't read that um, one. Which is like set in ancient China. Um, the other books since then have been set more like Chinese people coming to America like in the 20th century, which That's is more really good. That's more interesting, yeah. Yeah, and this book is set, well, it's set in the like 80s and 90s, but it's about a hill tribe that like... Um, like a car comes in 1994 to their village and they've never seen a car before. Ooh. And like when Mao said that China had 55 ethnic minorities, they hadn't even been discovered yet. Oh. In like night in the 40s. What did I see when I said that? And so it's really good. I'm only like a third of the way in, but I honestly was like, if we weren't recording the podcast tonight, I'd be canceling whatever plans I had to read it. To read it. I've actually, I've already read four books in 2019. Wow. This, I've read uh, just two. 
So when we're recording this, it's only two a week into 2019. Yeah, it's, the so it's, not, Jan- it's the 7th of January. Um, but I finished up a whole bunch. Or so the eighth. It's, the eighth. Good. it's not even the 7th. It's the 8th. <laughs> Crazy yeah. week. <laughs> it's long. Um, yeah. But the book we read this week, actually counting this book, I've read five books in 2019 <laughs> um, because I finished it this week, is called The Leopard. It was written by Giuseppe de, de Lampedusa. I'm sorry. Insert Italian pronunciation. Yep. Um, and it was published in 1958, one year posthumously after he passed away. Um, and the novel itself is set in the 1890s, which we're going to talk the about. 1870s. 1870s. When we get going, it was 288, 80, 280. Very long pages. <laughs> Don't give it away so early, Chelsea. I got no, I got no <laughs> secrets here. What was your one-word description? Aristocratic. Mine is feudal. Okay, so we're kind of on the same page there. Um, what's the? Give us our description of this book in one sentence. Quick plot. In this quick plot, an aristocratic family experiences upheaval during Italy's unification. Great. So um, you will note that we didn't name the family because when we were writing our quick plot, we already forgot their names. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, in our defense, oh, it's been goodness. a bit since I read this because we delayed the recording a couple of times. Yeah. But I um, to go into more details of the book and more spoilers, spoilers. Uh, look in the show notes if you want to come back into the show when we're done with spoilers. Well, there'll be a time in there. Um this book is about, so Italy unified into the country we know it today in 1870. And so in the 1850s and mm-hmm. 60s, there was movement towards that goal, right? And so this is centered on a, a t- aristocratic family whose emblem is the leopard mm-hmm. um, and the main, like, patriarch of that family um, and how he's, like, anticipating the changes and trying to like end up in a good position as like communism and republicanism and unification are happening and And trying to end up still with some power and some money basically and the previous kind of feudal system that ruled italy for the most part right and what's interesting is that they do end up well in his lifetime in a similar position despite like the revolution that happens and then it's then there's smaller details about his children's and nephews like love lives and Mm -hmm. stuff and how that are meant to be probably like you know small pictures that reflect the larger societal changes that are happening so it's really i read it kind of as a like a drop in on someone's life snapshot during a pivotal time because the country is changing yeah Overall, I do want to say one thing stylistically that I liked about this novel is that it was broken up into parts mm-hmm. rather than chapters. Um, Wait, you were happy it didn't have chapters? Hang That's on. character. And then each part had what were essentially stylistically mm-hmm. chapters mm-hmm. Um, that were just named only solely in the part heading, which again, yeah, that would normally annoy me, but I thought it was really cool. Um, I felt like that made it feel kind of in a cool way that even though this book came out in the 1950s, it felt like it read because of that, like a book that came out in the time that it was set in, in the yeah. 18, like 60s and 70s. So that was kind of a cool way to place you in the time of the book and it was fun to like pre-read like oh here's the things coming up and then when it would change sometimes i'd look back and be like oh what section is this going to be so that was kind of cool i liked that i also think it confirmed our belief that italian translates well yeah translates to english well um i thought that the the translation of this book was really beautifully done um it didn't feel stilted or anything in any of the other ways that we've sometimes read in other translations um i think that the like fluidity and rhythm of Italian translates really well to English. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so that's, that's nice. I mean, it felt, it was an easy read, like it read quickly and stuff for being, it felt very reaffirming too, that we were correct saying it was <laughs> when we read, what was that other Italian book? Uh, to each his own. Yeah. To each his own. Um, yeah. So my question really to kick off this discussion is why do you think the makers of a thousand and one books to read before you die put this on the list? I think they put this on the list because it's another representation similar to many of our representations of communism. Um, <laughs> keyword, hot word, drink if you have a playing yeah. a drinking game. If you're listening to hours <laughs> of our podcast in a row, every time we say communism, take a drink. <laughs> um, I think that they put this in here because it's showing kind of like civilization or subsex of civilization, like the way we rise and fall and the way that there's always something coming up while something's going out and how the people who are rich and powerful usually end up being rich in power all over again yeah um and, and it's the same people who always maintain keep the power yeah well and it was interesting too that um i thought it was another example too of looking at how people who are in wealth or in power um for hundreds of years have all kind of in literature at least held that same viewpoint of the people below them that they're going to upheave and like attack them like that fear that's built in mm -hmm. um and having power and in having yeah. wealth yeah um, that it's kind of innate in power that you fear losing it yeah. and do whatever you have to do to keep it and yeah. so i felt like that was present in this novel um to a little bit of an extent as the like the patriarch of this family kind of watched what was happening and he feared for the loss of the, the power and then he kind of accepted the loss and then after his death it turns out that really they didn't lose any power at all yeah. In the long run. I mean, yeah, because he, like, he kind of like was smart and made sure he didn't align himself with any side. And then he came out like pretty in the clear, you yeah. know, in like, his in his like immediate future. And like his direct line kind of ran out of power. But like ran out of his, money. Yeah. His nephew that he had set up to be have successful. money and success and power ended up being successful and have money and being in power. So um, I thought it was interesting. I. Yeah. I would say that is on the list for for those reasons and also just as like a it a it's a snapshot of like a certain moment in history that um i wouldn't really know anything about yeah. you know and so it's i like historical fiction for that reason you know like like that book i'm reading by lisa c it's it's interesting to read about how just china and how much diversity there is in china and yeah. i just never learn about that otherwise um and so this book is kind of in that same vein that it's it's, it's it is historical fiction it's just from a different era yeah. you know um but there's a but <laughs> i this out of all the 36 other books we've read for the podcast you know usually we love them we vehemently hate them or sometimes we like them okay and we understand why they're valuable you uh -huh. know or maybe it's not to our taste but we can see why it's valuable this book i have it did not invoke any emotional response for me i was just like yep uh-huh um, stuff happened i cool. would say <laughs> overall this book evoked very little emotional response but that happens to me more often than it happens to you i've had very little emotional response to some of these there were some interesting passages though that i thought were um like cool i thought it was interesting um at the very end of the novel one of the daughters of the patriarch um finds out that the guy the nephew that she had wanted to marry um kind of loved her all along yeah and, and she had, I, and she had believed something that was true when he was just kidding and then they misunderstood each other and i thought that that was a cute little like not cute but like an interesting little vignette about like how we 
how we never really understand each other's intentions. Yeah. Um, there's another vignette that I thought was really interesting when the patriarch was, um, was dying and it was talking about, um, Oh yeah. That was good. his like his thoughts and feelings about it and kind and of about how he was like, kind of like by percentages, like not being in his mm-hmm. body that, yeah, that was a really cool description of what aging is. But and those death. two sections yeah. were just the last 30 pages and yeah. there was 250 other pages you had to read to get to them. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that there was some interesting value in this. I thought it was interesting, um, to kind of like the circular nature of, um, how, everything that that man built in the end is going to kind of, it's gone. His branch of it has gone to ruins because his family, um, that the church is going to take back the relics that they have and say that they're not real relics and all this stuff with the Catholic church kind of stuff. Um, but he had predicted it like 60 years before seeing one little butterfly wing motion. So that was kind of cool too. Um, It It reminds me when you're saying that it's circular, how like, history is circular that's kind of what the book is saying is that when we read to each his own which was like in the first 10 books maybe Uh of the podcast uh, and set in sicily this also book also set in sicily um that book was really circular Mm -hmm. and so i wonder if there's like something culturally going on that we don't know about it and particularly sicily even yeah uh, that is like a theme that is deep in in the culture and we're like picking it up in these two very different books from but you know? if they were both published like 1958 and then 1970s right for 60s, 60s i think so pretty yeah. close to the same era so that's yeah so that's interesting we learned after we both finished this book that it was um pu- published posthumously mm-hmm. and that nobody wanted to publish it at first because it, it both simultaneously attacks communism and the catholic church uh-huh. not, rather than picking a side so that kind of feels like cheeky and I like it in retrospect. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really think about when I was reading it that it was really attacking the church. It, mm-hmm. I read it more as like, like everything just goes on, you know, yeah. it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter if the communists are in power or if we have a King or if we're a Republic. But I can't, that kind of yeah. goes to the theme though, that when people are in power, so the communists and the church, they right. fear anyone who's not, Right. Supporting them. So then even though it's not a direct attack, it wasn't wanted to be published. Right. And we talked before and lots of times about how all the communist regimes that have ever been have seemed to turned into just like dictatorships uh-huh. and not really following like Marxist principles in the end, you know? Um, and that's because they, once you have power, you want to hold on to it. Yeah. Even if you screw up with your principles, absolute whatever your principles are. power corrupts absolutely. I mean, Great. Glad we just made that up and now we've solved it for this book. That's a, that's I, a know, I know. I know it is. Um, I know it is. I don't know who that quote is I don't attributed know to, but I know it's the same. Either. Um, something else. That's basically the plot of this book. You could just like yeah. write that on the back. <laughs> Absolute power corrupts. Something else that I thought was interesting that the author did in this book stylistically that I meant to mention earlier was that he kind of was like an om- omniscient, omniscient mm-hmm. um, narrator where he... There'd be like little like, oh, and they thought that this ballroom was uh, uh, undestroyable. What's the word for that? Indestructible. Indestructible. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> undestroyable. Indestructible. <laughs> and uh, but little did they know in 1943, a bomb made in Philadelphia was going to destroy it. And so yeah, there was like I like those like little that. like windows into the future. Like, oh, but she didn't know that the disease that was going to kill her was already in, a, you know, in 40 yeah. years was already in her bones or like but, that. I like that. I like a narrator that has um, 
like knows what's going on in everybody's well, head. And like something that. that I I noted when I read it, and then I didn't realize until the last couple pages it was actually important was in like the first dinner scene, the son doesn't get any of the castle cake in the dinner oh. scene, and it says something like uh, about it, like a reflection of things to come. And I was like, oh, so we're going to have, I only remember because I was like, oh, this, that was the first instance of that, like, look ahead thing. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out in the scene where the patriarch is dying, the son was trampled by a horse in adolescence. Oh, yeah. So he didn't live long enough to inherit. So he didn't live to inherit the castle, which went with the castle cake. So there were lots of little, like, naughty things like that in there, which were cool. That that reminds me so much of Harry Potter when, like, Trelawney says, like, when nine people gather at a table or whatever, the first one to leave dies, and then that does happen. It's basically that. She basically got that idea from this book. (laughs) I loop back to Harry Potter. Uh, But I Um, thought that that was really interesting. I Stylistically, I liked this book. um, Can I take us on a little tangent? Yes, of course you can. So I recently read a book for a book club called The Power by Naomi something came out um, in 2016 and and it has a handprint on the cover right yeah and it was outstandingly good you should read it and it's about um, you know it's kind of like the present and suddenly young women teenagers in puberty are developing the ability they have like a new organ above their collarbone and they can electrically shock people and they can awaken it older women have it too but it's not like working uh-huh. and then they if you like you know they can awaken it in an older woman and so suddenly women are physically more powerful than men and then it's kind of about what happens and at first you're like yeah women who have been human trafficked kill those horrible people who have trafficked you uh-huh. and leave your husband who beats you and like and you feels good but then in the end the women like create a society that is just as corrupt and there's like scenes of women raping men using their power and like just some really like brutal stuff and like politically using their power in the same way and then the kind of the thesis of the book is that men and women women even if women it doesn't help for women to be more powerful than men we have to be actually physically equal Uh to have equality and we'll never have it um because you like to think that oh, women are just more nurturing. But but this book's definitely saying that's not nature. It's nurture that women are like that. So if you made the nature, you know, different. It was really good. And a lot of it was about like the nature of power. So Interesting. I think I'd like that. You should definitely read it. It was the last book I read in 2018. And and I probably would have put it on our like list if we hadn't already recorded because it was so good. That's, yeah, um, yeah, no, I definitely thought that this book was a lot about power and who has power and how you watch your power go away or what that feels yeah. like for I'll that patriarch. I believe that now but when I was reading it I was just kind of like kind of dull story about an aristocratic family and oh yeah I can pull like 200 feet back and see those themes but it wasn't like yes like wow like what oh, a great discussion yeah, no. of this it that, wasn't no. like crime and punishment where I was thinking about those things as I was reading it yeah it was like oh I know there's a meaning in this book let me think about it right. until I figure it out. Which isn't really great literature, no. in my opinion, you know. It wasn't bad, though. I just, I mean, I feel like I'm defending it a lot, but it's because I, I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't think It's it not was... bad like we thought Gormenghast was bad Mm-mm. or something. And it's not bad because it's problematic in any way. It's it, really well loved. It has like 20,000 reviews on Goodreads. And maybe, I, maybe like if I was Italian... And this, this was like history that I really knew about and like felt like mm-hmm. in our family, you know, like, oh, yeah, my grandfather was doing blah, blah, blah when this, you know, or whatever. Um, it would feel 
bigger, like a bigger deal. Oh, and maybe that's just like horrible American exceptionalism that it doesn't feel as big of a deal because no one else's history isn't as important as ours. But maybe every country has that. I think, I don't know. too, it would even just being like from a European country that had feudal systems previously and so now has lords and ladies and has that kind of like yeah. system in place, maybe it would mean more. We just don't. We have a power system in America, very clearly. I'm not saying we don't. But it's not labeled the same way. Yeah. Um, and it's not... It is generational, but it's not generational in the way these kinds of relationships are. Yeah, honestly, are. it's harder to dismantle because it is generational in a more hidden way than this would have yeah. been, like, having lords and ladies is. So um, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I, the problem with talking about these books is I always like them more as we talk about them. I mean, I do like it more after this discussion, but I still wouldn't be like, this is one of the better ones we've read yeah. or anything. And I wouldn't, well, we wanted to start talking about this year about what kind of reader we would recommend this book to. So who would you recommend this book to? Um, I would recommend this book to anyone who's really kind of interested in that um, early 1900s, late, early late 1800s early 1900s like european history kind of stuff where that those big changes in the structures of how european countries were happened there and how that kind of led into what became world war one because it kind of alludes oh, yeah, totally. into this yeah. so this is a, that would be really cool especially because it's based off of a real family that he kind of adapted the stories to be oh. stories that would be you know things that really happened um yeah. i think if you were into that kind of history um You'd find that interesting because it definitely does have little tones of like precursors to how we got to World War One and to how Italy got to being a communist state and to how what they is, got to. Yeah, it's crazy because if they were just unified in 1870 and then 40 years later, they're in like the biggest war the world has ever yeah. seen. And then then they're and then they have a dictator and then they're in another war like in within their which is interesting because we talk about like countries like in Africa that just became independent in the 60s and how they're unstable. But it took European countries more than that that amount of time that it's been since then to get stable well, also. And it's just they just had they weren't stable. They were stable within different like city states and then they yeah. kind of amalgamated. They were just like little smaller states. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that, that was interesting. Um, if you're interested in kind of like the way the Catholic church grew across Italy, that would also be interesting to you too, I think, because it, it looks at, does some like brief looking at how, um, the end, the, 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 the formation of Italy and like the Catholic church kind of intersected with each other. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, I think you have to have some pretty specific interests. Yeah. I would say, like I mean, book. if you like historical fiction, that's strong on politics. I think you would like it. Um, if you like historical fiction that's full of romance, this is not the book, you know? No. Um, but, like, that's strong on, like, political stuff, then it might, you might like it. And political or historical fiction that's strong on poli political stuff, but, and is full of, like, exposition rather than, not exposition, full yeah. of, yeah. And dialogue. Or rather yeah. than, um, like, being all, like, plot-based. Oh, isn't doesn't exposition mean plot? That's what I'm looking for. I'm like it's full of um. I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> like the uh, the main idea isn't the plot; it's how the patriarch handles the plot. Okay, yeah, I don't know if there's a word for that. I don't know if there's a word for that either. <laughs> but I get, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like plot developed, but not plot driven. <laughs> 
It's I'm going to cut all that. That it's out. more a book about ideas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'll leave that in just so you can see how, how much I really am struggling today for listeners. Uh, uh, so do we think this is a book that everyone should read before they die? One, two, three. No. no. Okay. So this year we want to... Well, something we want to add is that we're each going to rate every book between one and ten, so you, so our listeners can kind of know how much we like it compared to other books that we like. For this, for me, which is for me, this book is like a three. I I was thinking it's like it's like a five, and here's why: because if I'm equating this to like the Goodreads scale, which is five stars, I would give this. A two, like, meh, more towards three stars on really? Goodreads. That so, like, five stars. It wasn't hard, bad to read. I well, It was for me. <laughs> so, those are, those are our ratings. Yeah. So, that's our discussion of The Leopard, uh, book 37. Woo-woo. Um, so, moving into our non-spoilerly section, we thought it would be fun to talk about those books that everyone is forced to read in high school. Yeah. And if we like them then, if we think we'd like them now. Uh, so what's a book that you remember from that era? Um, ooh, from high school. To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. So we kind of talked about that in the podcast before that we both loved it. But We're now, sure but now like we don't know if we But I think that's a quintessential high school book. I think yeah, no matter sure. whether you're in AP classes or whatever your state does for that, like IB or if you're in gen ed, I think To Kill a Mockingbird is one of those ones that everybody reads. Yes. Yeah. And I remember really liking it. I But as we've discussed on previous episodes, yeah. that perhaps it might be problematic. We're going to have to read it, it again. Isn't it on the list? It's got to be on the list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I have strong memories of um, The Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Um, I remember at the time liking that, but also feeling like it's very much a boy book. Yeah, like boys, I, the boys in our classes really liked it. I didn't really like it. I didn't hate it. I thought it was one where we were like asked to read a lot into it that I didn't think there was a lot to read into it. Yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah, um, that's that's definitely on the list. We'll be reading that eventually. Yeah. Ooh, and you know what other one that what? I loved? This is like maybe one of my favorite books you read in high school, Catch Twenty Two. Oh, I like Catch Twenty Two. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm I pretty like sure that. that's on the list too. We'll I had to read that, that in college too. Yeah, well, you're, I think you're gonna get to read it again. <laughs> Three, third yeah. times a charm. Third times a charm. Um, <laughs> another one we read in high school that I remember having to read is not your favorite. It is um, The Scarlet Letter. Boo. <laughs> Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah, if you listen to our um, House of Seven Gables, you'll, you'll hear how much I hate The Scarlet Letter. And but I, how you didn't hate house on seven gables as much as the scarlet letter no and i think that if we're gonna force children to read a nathaniel Hawthorne <laughs> book, which you probably don't even need to um it should be the house of seven gables because it's way better and more and like less weirdly religious in yeah the, you know when we're not supposed to be teaching religion in schools so yeah um, um i'm trying to think of any other ones that we like i really have strong like we read heart of darkness but oh yeah it. i, I like that one it. a lot um, I think we're reading that on the list too. A lot of these books are on the list. Maybe that's how they pick them. High school curriculum <laughs> from the thousand and one books. <laughs> yeah, uh, or maybe that they pick the thousand and one books from high school curriculum. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what else did we read? I remember reading "Their Eyes Are Watching God" by mm-hmm. Zora Neale Hurston in senior year, I think. And I feel like I just was too young to appreciate that book, and I would like it now. 
I I thought about that um, recently because I'm pretty sure that one is on the list. I think I was looking at it in the book. I saw it in some list and I was like, yeah, I didn't get what I should have gotten from that book. No, I don't yeah. necessarily think that that's a book that high schoolers can get. No. Um, at least not white high schoolers. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I remember there being like abuse kind of stuff. Yeah, rape it. and like race, race stuff. And on like, a lot of levels. Yeah. I mean, I know we were sheltered in high school, so maybe... But we just weren't a population that were like a class that was going to really get much from it. But I also remember our teacher having to like draw stuff out from us to get stuff from that book. Yeah. Oh, let's not forget my least favorite book from high school, <laughs> Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> and Metamorphosis. Oh, I, I like that. I know. I My least favorite book. It's not The Great Gatsby. We oh. read that in high school. <laughs> God, I forgot about The Great yeah. Gatsby. So- the damn green light in the car. <sighs> So the thing is, is that I feel like we don't have good memories of a lot of these books and we're readers and we were readers then. And so why do they pick these books? It's interesting. It makes people think they're not readers and they stop reading for the rest of their lives. It makes people think they're not readers. I also think that there's something to be said here against prescribed curriculums that aren't really adaptive to the population in your classroom. Um, I think that there's a lot of teacher intuition that can lead you to choose good books for your class class and your kids. Um, And putting on my teacher hat here, I think that when we do things like this where we have really prescribed, like everybody in ninth grade in the whole country is going to read this, it's a really great idea in theory. Um, But what happens is then teachers aren't able to kind of meet the needs of their class and ensure that they're really giving them books that they would be interested in. Because I'd argue that like a high school class could get as much out of the hate you give easily. Or the kite runner. Or or the kite runner. Or um, like I'm trying to think uh, a book of really good slam poetry as they got out of these other novels and there's situations where that would be a really appropriate, like lead in to get kids to read those other novels. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that there's a lot of freedom to do that a lot of times yeah. in curriculums. Well, and that's really sad. As I understand it, we think that edu- curriculum is set nationally like that, but up until the no child left behind act, it's completely in the hand of like individual school districts and uh-huh. educational service districts. And so there's huge disparities and there's, and there's still no national standard for like what history is taught. And so in different States, oh, yeah, that's you'll have true. completely different history lessons and stuff. And so p- people come to college, different types of prepared, like about different things and stuff, because you would think, well, everybody teaches U.S. history, like, but, but, like, no, and like, that's where that's it's not, kind of a double. There's only sword. a, but now there's only a national like English and math standard, right? Common yeah. Core, and that's and, and not other subjects. There's Common Core science as well, but um, mm-hmm. it's the next gen science standard. It's a little different, but yeah, no, I just it's an interesting. There's strong points for having um a really like clear like Common Core system, and there's really some weaknesses for it too, um, and it's just just really interesting. I think literature is one of those areas where it's really hard because where we have these bad memories and we're not the only ones from reading books in high school. And there has to be a way to teach kids and to do it well while still getting them to be engaged. And I also feel like having the national standard makes me like the conspiracy theory. I mean, like public education, free public education is also 
a political tool to indoctrinate citizens to be the kind of workers that you want them to be, both like the skills they learn and the, to make them think a certain way. And so when we make kids say the Pledge of Allegiance every day and when we when we talk about America's historical past in a way that like washes over a lot of our sins or whatever. And when we make them read Huckleberry Finn, even though the N word is in there a thousand times, you know, like mm-hmm. the government is choosing to indoctrinate citizens in a certain way. And you can't forget that when you think about why educational policy is written the way that it is. Yeah, true. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting because then the impetus to, it's easier when I teach a younger grade because I have a lot more freedom because I don't have standardized testing that I'm being then graded on whether my children know that or not. Right. Because yeah. then what also there's that extra layer too, where then this turned really political. Sorry. everyone. <laughs> uh, where teachers on top of that, like in high school, there's a big or middle school, there's a big drive to teach exactly what's going to be on the test. Because if you don't teach what's going to be on the test and they don't show a certain amount of growth, then you're not going to get a good, review and then your school is going to get a bad review and and there's going to be all these consequences and so then it also is this balance of what is really do I personally feel is best practice for teaching and what is necessary for me to keep my job and what is the line where I can teach kids to be critical thinkers while still teaching this prescribed curriculum like I think that that's the balance I've tried to strike with my group even though they're six but like teaching critical thinking like yeah different perspectives and oh we're reading about this but could this always be right is this is this a fact mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. like and objectively is this right. and so I don't know it's really interesting yeah, I think um yeah that's very true now that I, we I also went down the rabbit uh, hole. yeah I also want to say that I hated every bit of Shakespeare we had to read in high school also. oh I secretly like Shakespeare even when we had to read Hamlet and write that long paper about it. I didn't read Hamlet. How did you write the long paper we had to write? I read the cliff notes. <laughs> so then you didn't like the Shakespeare. You didn't read it. I read, I liked um, Romeo and Juliet and I liked A Midsummer Night's Dream. We read, I didn't read A Midsummer Night's Dream in high school. Maybe I read that by choice. I also liked um, yeah, the comedies. Twelfth yeah. Night. Yeah. That uh, was Twelfth Night. That was in middle school. And we didn't read the actual version. I read it. the actual version in high school, though. Oh. I think I just went on a Shakespeare kick. Oh, yeah. But those both those plays are the comedies, not I the know. tragedies. The tragedies. I don't know it. if I've ever read. I've only read Hamlet and maybe part of Othello. Yeah, no, I haven't read one of his tragedies. And I only like, and I like seeing them on stage sometimes or like adaptations of them that are like weird, t- you know, uh-huh. different times and stuff, but only really the comedies. Uh, the only yeah. good, like, tragedy, I, I saw King Lear at Shakespeare in the Park once, and that was really good. Huh. But um, I, it is not meant to be read. It is meant to be watched. <laughs> it is not easy, not readable. No, it's not readable. <laughs> you mean a milk-levered weasel is not something that people say all the time now? Yeah. yeah. I was at once a character in a Shakespeare play in middle school, so. Yes, you were Viola. I was Viola in Twelfth Night. And really awkwardly, our middle school English teacher wanted me to kiss a boy who was supposed to be my brother in the play because we hadn't seen each other in 12 years. And I was like, I'm 12. I can't do that. And then he wanted us to hug and we still couldn't do that. So then we shook hands. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And also you, you and him were picked for those parts because the class agreed that you two looked the most like siblings of everyone in the class, which is a real weird way to get cast in something. <laughs> yeah. That was a thing that happened. Uh, but milk livered weasel was a line. That's stuck with you. <laughs> and apparently you like Shakespeare. So it, it worked. Putting you in that play worked. <laughs> oh, God. Because guess what? I was the narrator and I don't like Shakespeare. Didn't were you the narrator in that play or were you the narrator in the other one we did? No, I was the narrator in The Twelfth Night. 
Yeah. Anyways. Good uh, days. Good days. <laughs> Should we draw our book for next week? Dun, da, da, da. And the book is called Jealousy. Hmm. Sounds pretty on the nose. I I'm going to get and say the description that's really obvious before you. It's going to be about a relationship where people are jealous. Because you always say the most obvious answer. <laughs> it's going to be about... Yeah, I can't think. That's, that's this literally. One's, it's, it's, it's really on the nose. Yeah, I can't. There's nothing else to say. Ideally, I would want it to be like short stories and different like vignettes where jealousy is at play Ooh. in different situations. That would be a good book. Yeah, or like a story of jealousy from different viewpoints. Yeah, yeah. I doubt it's going to be that. I doubt it's going to be that. I mean, we did have that one book of short stories that was good, but yeah. reason, reasons to live, but... Well, um, I guess as we are moving forward, we would love for you to help us meet our New Year's resolutions and grow our followers. So if you would like to follow us, you can at... At 1001 Books Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at 1001 Books Podcast on Litzy, or email us at 1001 Books Podcast at gmail.com. You can also like and review us on iTunes or SoundCloud um, to get us recommended to others. Um, and we would really appreciate that. So until next time, happy, happy reading. reading.